Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that we have spoken at times before about, and that's pelvic floors, because we need to talk about pelvic floors and not be ashamed or brush these issues under the carpet. I am extremely delighted to be joined by a worldwide expert on pelvic floors, and she is Esther Stubbs. She is a multi-award winning sports injury and women's health physiotherapist, and the founder of the Pelvic Power Movement, which is just simply intriguing. Welcome to the show, Esther. Hi, Clarissa. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's wonderful to be here. Um, As you know, I love spreading the pelvic health message to as many women as possible. Um, And like you said, it's it's a topic that needs to be talked about more. It definitely isn't talked about enough. No, it definitely isn't, Esther. And, And I think maybe even just for the listeners, how many women have pelvic floor issues through their life? Well, I think most women do. I think statistically, two out of three women will experience episodes of incontinence throughout their lives. That's a lot of women. And 50% will experience some type of prolapse symptom. So it's a large majority of the female population who's going to have a pelvic floor dysfunction or issue whether they've had children or not, um, sadly, not having children doesn't, you know, prevent you from getting these symptoms, sadly. No, and I think that sometimes we talk about as if it was, you know, happens after pregnancy, after you've given birth. But it's really prevalent, isn't it, for perimenopausal and older women? Yes, it really is. And I think a lot of women who have not had any symptoms and they thought they've escaped um, post-childbirth and they've been leading fit and active lives can suddenly develop symptoms during the perimenopause uh, and postmenopausally. Um, a lot of it's got to do with the change in our hormones, primarily. Yeah. So what is really happening to our pelvic floor as we go through the perimenopause and into postmenopausal years so i think we have to look at it, it multifaceted really so primarily it is the reduction in our fertility hormones that has the greatest impact as we go through perimenopause and menopause so that reduction in estrogen levels really has a, sadly a negative effect on our pelvic floor i mean it has a negative effect on our whole body but we <laughs> we see those results more in our pelvic floor the viability of the tissues decreases, the collagen depletes, um, it becomes a less moist, drier area, the tissue becomes thinner. So we start to see vaginal atrophy, we start to see so that's thinning of the tissues, you may experience dryness, you may experience soreness, 
Um, estrogen is a great hormone that helps us build strength within our muscles. So it becomes more and more difficult to build that muscle strength as we age, which is why it's important really to try and act proactively rather than reactively, because it's much easier to prevent or maintain a muscle bulk rather than try and build it when you've got this um, estrogen depletion. Yes, which is kind of a message we're talking about in our whole bodies. But sometimes I think that gets focused on muscles in your arms and legs. And maybe we forget that we have muscles inside ourselves that also need help and support. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really um, important because, you know, we think about our face loses elasticity. We get wrinkles, maybe our breasts, you know, droop a little bit more. But we've got to remember that inside those changes are also occurring. We just can't see them. So, you know, our fascia is becoming a little looser. The elasticity in the internal tissues is, is becoming less elastic. There's less collagen in there. So the pelvic floor will drop. Those organs will drop. So you've got to remember that gravity occurs internally as well as externally. Um, and that obviously has a negative impact on the pelvic floor. And you might start to feel um, some issues that maybe were there before, but that slight change has just tipped the balance to make it um, more problematic for you. Yeah, so the pelvic floor is like a little hammock, isn't it, Esther? Yes, exactly. It's a hammock of muscles which are supporting your pelvic organs. So at the front, you're supporting your urethra and the bladder. <clears throat> In the middle, you've got your vagina. And obviously, at the back, you've got your rectum and your anal passage. And that hammock really holds everything in place. Um, if it becomes weak, and then it can um, not do the job that it's supposed to. It's not providing that structural support, which is why we get bladder prolapse and we get incontinence. But it's important to realise that you sometimes it's not just um, that the muscles are loose, they can be tight and weak. So a lot of women experience a tight pelvic floor but it's still weak because it's not functional. It's not moving. It's not getting oxygen. It's not getting blood. It's not getting strength because it's not moving through that range. So, it, But it's still very tight. It's a bit like having your tight hamstrings. You know, your muscles are tight. <laughs> so it's stiff and you can't move and it's not doing the job. So you get weak and you probably get back pain. You might get some hip pain. It's the same in your pelvic floor. Um, if that is tight and weak, you're going to start to get hip pain and back pain. And a lot of women, that's one of the first symptoms they see actually is hip and back pain um, because their pelvic floor is not functioning properly. Yeah. And obviously that that is occurring, as you said, much earlier. A lot of women talk about having back pain in perimenopause. Could the pelvic floor be part of that issue? Absolutely. Yeah. And for many, it is. I mean, because if you think about having, we have babies, our body goes through a massive trauma, you know, we get diastasis recti. So our abdominal muscles separate. If we don't have a good core rehab program after pregnancy, then you lose that support system at the front of your abdomen, which means that your back will then be taking much more of the load. If your pelvic floor is not recovered properly, you haven't done proper rehab, it may be weak, it may be tight. Um, you then have, a, you know, it's a dysfunction. So you then get more back pain because it's taking too much load. The facets uh, are rubbing, you know, the joints are rubbing. A bit like when you get knee pain, don't you? When a, yeah. your knee joint rubs together. It's, 
we're so that one. <laughs> I think we forget. We, just, we look in parts of us, but we need to look at a big picture, especially with a pelvis, because it bears so much load and it's involved in every activity we do. It's your foundation. Um, so it's incredible how little attention we give it, really. It, it is. I mean, it's not something, unless you are someone like myself who practices a lot of Pilates and has done for maybe 15 years or and yoga I most people are not thinking a lot about that part of your body but you're right all the center of our body is just above the pelvic floor it's right in that sort of navel area we're carrying all our weight there and even walking is connected to our pelvic floor isn't it yeah absolutely everything and I often attribute it like uh, to a trampoline if you think about the pelvic floor as the bouncing mat and the poles and the metal structure are your bones, and then the springs are your ligaments. You know, if something is out of kilter, you know, your, your trampoline is on uneven ground, or the springs aren't attached properly, you're going to get a terrible bounce. If you're going to get a terrible bounce, you're going to get too much strain on one side of the pelvic floor. It's going to lead to injury or pain or tightness or problems in that in that mesh that you're bouncing on. Yeah. So, I mean, people obviously initially think that it's urinary incontinence, but that was your pelvic floor's weakened a lot before that happened or not? Yeah. So it's interesting because pelvic floor incontinence, you know, there's lots of different types of incontinence. And interestingly, some are more mental and emotional than they are actually physical. And a lot of what I see in a lot of perimenopausal women actually is a habitual change, a very slow change in their habits that causes the urinary urgency, that lock in the key syndrome. So a lot of women, as they preach perimenopause, menopause, they are constantly worrying about the next toilet. Where is it going to be? And when they get home, they are busting because they put the lock in the key and suddenly they associate it with going to the toilet. And that's actually more of a mental thing. It's not that their pelvic floor can't support that. It's that their brain is triggered by these triggers of needing a wee and you've told yourself that that's what you're going to do. Um, so the bladder releases <laughs> and, you, and that's an involuntary smooth muscle, which you don't have control of. And then you're trying to battle it with a weak pelvic floor that is desperately trying to hold on. And then you get into this panic and you've got adrenal glands and you've got cortisol and you've got fight and flight coming in and, and then you wee yourself. <laughs> and then you've then got this pattern, this experience oh my God, this could happen again. And you start to panic more and you get into this vicious cycle of panic and worry and and you just need to work backwards, slowly retraining the bladder a bit like a puppy to do as it's told. Yeah, that's the sort of stress incontinence they call that, is that correct? That's actually uh, urge incontinence. Um, oh, stress yeah. incontinence is when we laugh or cough or oh. jump and that is literally more of a physical, can that bladder sphincter, um, stop, you know, resist the pressure, the extra pressure that's put on the bladder during those moments. Right. So there's so two very distinct different types of incontinence that can be happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I recognize that just got to go to the toilet before you go out. Mm. <laughs> And and people who can't go around the shops without needing to find a bathroom, which of course becomes tricky these days because bathrooms aren't free. Or certainly not here in Sweden where I live, they're not free. So if you don't then have money, no one has any money anymore. Um, you, uh, you you're sort of dying and busting for a wee and thinking I'm not going to make it home, which is 
which is not a great experience, as you said, mentally or physically. Exactly. And I think that's what makes people go to the toilet so much more often because they're panicking, worrying about that. But then you're retraining your bladder to empty before really it's ready because ultimately the bladder is a holding tank. It's designed to hold the urine until you are ready to urinate. Um, (laughs) And what happens is it, it gets that signal to urinate maybe when it's a quarter full or a half full. Um, rather than when it is full, so you you know you you've trained your bladder bladder badly, and it and it's not something that happens quickly. It happens slowly, like I said, because of those experiences. Yes, yes. Well, I think that's a good sort of message for all of us to take out about learning and retraining. I mean, how do you retrain that, Esther? Is that just a mental training practice of going yeah. for longer? So say a patient came to me with urge incontinence because they were needing to urinate too often or getting those triggers like shopping or coming home. So what I tend to get them do, a very simple um, test is what happens is you go, say you're going to the front door you come home, you do go in and you go to the toilet because initially we don't want any accidents. <laughs> okay. You then come back outside and come in again calmly. And so you retrain your body that every time you go to the front door doesn't mean you need to urinate. And then you build from there. So you'll come in and you'll try and distract yourself for 30 seconds even. You know, go and make a phone call, go and make a cup of tea, go um, do something else just so and extend that time each time so that you break that habit of urinating as soon as you walk in the door so so your brain doesn't doesn't associate that anymore so you've broke broken that association connection yeah really sort of like cognitive behavioral therapy techniques that are retraining certain patterns of behavior that aren't helpful exactly And there's other things you can do. So you can like do some deep breathing. You want to turn off that fight and flight response. You can count backwards from 10. You can um, apply pressure to your undercarriage. You know, you see little kids, especially they cross their legs because that is a physical feedback sensation to say, right, it's not not time to urinate now. So just employing those things to just delay the episode slightly without having an accident, calm your adrenal system down, and then you're in control. Right now, I'm happy to go to the toilet. It's not something you want to practice when you're out. No, no. (laughs) Except crossing your legs, maybe. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and just trying to regain the control of your body that, you know, you used to have. Yes. And we really talked about this being totally connected to our hormonal change tell me a little bit more about what is actually happening um, in that realm of hormones is it just estrogen or is it also other hormones involved so I always say when I'm explaining it to my three children that um, I'm going through reverse puberty so and it doesn't happen overnight and it's all the fertility hormones that deplete. So it is the progesterone, it is testosterone, it is estrogen. Um, so when you do, for instance, many women are now turning to hormone replacement therapy. When you go for hormone replacement, you don't just replace the estrogen. You need to replace the other hormones as well to ensure you have balance. Because if you were to just replace the estrogen, your bladder, your sorry, uterus would just get thicker and thicker. You need to still run through the cycle of it um you know so it it doesn't just build up and build up 
Um, but yeah, the main we experience the progesterone and um, testosterone give different um, physical symptoms. So you, progesterone is a good um, mood balancer. So we know that perimenopause and menopausal women um, are prone to mood swings. <laughs> and this is caused by, you know, the change in the hormones, the lack of the balancing hormones. Um, lots of them have anger issues. They flare very quickly. They're very irritable. Um, and we need to look at the balancing of the testosterone in that, in that instance. Um, but mainly for your pelvic floor issues is really the estrogen depletion. Like I said, the, the viability, the plumpness of the tissues, the collagen loss, you know, structurally it changes. You can feel that structural change. And for many women, um, the dryness makes them much more aware of their, you know, labia, their vaginal tissue. Um, and that's uncomfortable. That can make them feel, you know, nervous, worried, irritable, you know, not want to have sex, lower their libido. Um, you know, if you're constantly aware of something being sore and irritable, that affects your mood and general demeanour. Yeah, so it really is oestrogen. Um, from a pelvic floor perspective, um, how beneficial is hormone therapy? So localized, I think if we're going for hormone HRT, um, you're not going to see um, as big a response as the localized estrogen, which you can get. So you can get localized estrogen, which a lot of women use. Um, they're tiny little pessaries that get popped inside um, and something like Vagifem. And you can also get a cream to put on the external area if you're suffering with any dryness. And this basically just provides a low dose of local estrogen to the area to help with that moistness, with that viability of the tissues, helps to um, preserve the collagen and help you to see some benefit with your pelvic floor exercises. So, you know, if you weren't interested in going the full hog, then, you know, localised estrogen works very well for, for many women. I can attest to that. It's been a lifesaver in the last few years when I was, I mean, I'm into my 60s now, so I didn't really have any sense that there was a change. But over the last few years, I noticed that and localized estrogen has been quite, you know, amazing, quite honestly, so simple. I think I started with what was about three week course and every single day and now twice a week and some cream and a pessary uh, just life-changing yeah I agree and for so many women as well and it can make the difference between you know feeling uncomfortable feeling stressed feeling anxious to you know not having to think about it not being constantly yeah. reminded of those that area of your body Yes, and, and I noticed that there's been a big move, at least here in Sweden, for this to become something that we give older women in care homes because their rate of urinary tract infection is so high. And that's connected as well, isn't it, to increased dryness? Yes, yes, exactly. What happens during menopause, the tissue of the urethra actually changes, which means that bacteria can travel uh, more easily up that urethral tube, causing urine infections. So a female urethra is much shorter than a male urethra, which is why we get a lot more urine infections. But once again, in menopause, because of those 
that lining of the urethra changes cellularly, it makes it easier for that bacteria to travel up. And yeah, estrogen does help uh, localised with that, preventing that to occur. Definitely. So that's a that's a big message. I think that's a, a takeaway for everybody. Just if you can't get it over over the counter, which you can in some countries, then go to your doctor and get those prescribed for you because the difference is huge on many levels. But you touched earlier on exercises, and I'd love Esther to talk a little bit more about that because quite a few people will be familiar with Kegels. But from you're you're a real expert in this area talk more broadly about the exercises what we should be doing and which are likely to be most effective sure so yeah you're absolutely right kegels is a very prominent pelvic floor exercise which is probably the most talked about exercise and they are great for a lot of women they don't work for everybody and that can be for a variety of reasons in order for a kegel to work you have to have pretty good pelvic floor function in the first place you know you you've got to be able to contract your pelvic floor and a lot of women can't you it's not got it's got to be not hypertonic because if it's already tight and you're trying to squeeze it some more you can end up with some more issues that you don't want um so ultimately before proceeding with a pelvic floor rehab program i would definitely recommend if you can and have access go and get your pelvic floor assessed see where you are you know, are you tight? Are you weak? You know, have you got a dysfunction? Are you mal-coordinated? Because if you're squeezing on one side but not on the other, if you can, you know, you're going to get an imbalance, which is going to cause you issues. Um, have a go at Kegels to start with. Uh, and the main and the easiest way to do this is to imagine you need to pass wind. So, and you're in it a place where it's inappropriate. Um, and so you just squeeze around your anus, squeeze around your vagina, then up to your urethra, and then lift. So it's a squeeze and lift. So there's two different types of muscles going on there. Um, it's important to do both to prevent um, urinary leakage. And if you feel that you can competently do that, then practicing Kriegels is a great exercise. If you feel that um, you don't have sensation or you don't have the strength, that's when you need to look at a rehab program. And there's, on the market, if you didn't want to pair therapist, there are devices for weak pelvic floors like the Kegel 8, the Perifit, the LV, which are little biomechanical devices you pop inside and they feed back. So they link to an app and you can see um, how you're doing, whether you're squeezing properly. But for a lot of women, it needs to be more functional. So first, they need to be able to release that pelvic floor so it can have function and build it into exercises like yoga or Pilates or everyday activities. And that personally is my preference for physical rehab because I don't find Kegels very functional. And no point in our life do we sit there and need to squeeze our pelvic floor 10 times. <laughs> So it's more important that your pelvic floor is working for you when you're lifting, when you're carrying, when you're pushing, maybe a buggy, taking a car seat out of the car. Maybe you're lifting your grandchildren, doing the shopping. You need to know how to effectively engage that pelvic floor to support your organs um, and your back and your stomach um, while you're doing those activities so you don't get you know, more pelvic floor symptoms or you don't get back problems, you don't get abdominal problems. Yeah. So for me, that feels when you're talking, Esther, like a much more all round 
training so that you're taking it out into your daily life in a natural way rather than I'm pressing it up and doing squeezy exercises morning and night or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is if if you're just doing the squeezy up squeezes, your body doesn't know that it needs to squeeze <laughs> when you go to do an activity. It only knows it needs to squeeze when you tell it to squeeze when you're doing exercises. And that isn't functional. That isn't going to help you. Yeah, you need to retrain your body to naturally engage when the activity requires it. Yes, and I think you're right. Things when you're doing things like Pilates, there's a lot of focus. But there's a lot of focus if you have a good Pilates teacher, isn't there, on also relaxing fascia before you tighten them. As you said, tightening an already tight muscle causes an issue. And I think those are the sort of things that that well-trained people teach you that you, you're relaxed before you tighten mm. uh, and therefore the the effect is much better. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it is very difficult because, you know, Pilates and yoga can be brilliant, but it really depends on your instructor. I, you know, I see a lot of patients that have been going to Pilates for 20 years and, and they've got no core engagement or no pelvic floor. And I'm like, well, what, what have you been doing? So if they don't have that one-on-one, to be like, well, you're not actually engaging correctly. And the body is very clever at compensating. You know, it, the stronger muscles will immediately take over. And if somebody's not watching very carefully, it can be very difficult to see if that's occurring in there. You know, if you've got a class of 20 or something, you can't keep an eye on every single person. So No, and I think we've seen that kind of shift as well with much more training online. And and I look at that and I go, oh, that's okay because I went to private Pilates classes in yeah. Austra- in Australia. They're obsessed about Pilates, <laughs> <laughs> so I went there and I had private lessons, and then I went to class. So okay, I can do that online. But a lot of people have during lockdown, in particular, come into lots of training with maybe no base mm. uh, knowledge, and and as you're right, that could have a lot of damage not just to your pelvic floor but to other muscles in the body. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, and it's very difficult because it's great to see so many part, people participating in exercise. So we don't in any way want to discourage that. But I think it's important to go and get those base, that foundation one to one initially or go and see a therapist who can um, sort of make sure you're engaging properly and, and help you get back yeah. to doing any activity that you want to do. Because you have muscles, if I'm correct, to the side and to the back and the front in the pelvic floor, don't you? Yes, it's yeah. it's multi-layered um, pelvic floor. So that's what makes it quite challenging when you're trying to strengthen and stretch and release because so many other muscles also feed into the pelvic floor um, and trying to make sure everything is coordinated with the breath as well. Let's not forget the diaphragm and the breath. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, it's... It's um, difficult. It's difficult. Yes. So, I mean, your first tip then is really get yourself assessed. Yes. I think um, I think if you're serious and you want to improve, then investing in an assessment, whether it's private or um, NHS, is definitely the first step in to um, beginning your rehab because then at least you know where you're starting. Yeah. And would you recommend that even if you're a woman who wasn't having any issues with their pelvic floor but wanted to be proactive about it? Absolutely. So um, I offer a service called uh, the Mummy MOT and the Menopause MOT. So you can just come in and have an MOT, just see what's going on. 
um, and help you, you know, keep strong, make sure you're doing the right things or get some re-education where you need it. Ultimately, my goal is to get women back to doing what they love. So I don't want them to stay with me for, for months on end. <laughs> I want to assess them, rehab them to a point where they can go off and maintain because I know that unless they go off and feel confident doing the exercise, they won't do it. And they're just going to end up back in the clinic or have an issue. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really sound advice. And and there are women's uh, physiotherapists everywhere in the world. We can find them. We can book appointments and, and yes, get an MOT. And I love that you're offering that as an MOT. We're MOT. I think we sometimes take more care of our cars than we do ourselves. For sure. For sure. I think yeah. women are reluctant to spend money on themselves, spend time on themselves. Um, there's always other people they're taking care of or other things that come first. But unless we look after ourselves, we're not able to look after other people as well. So yeah, perimenopause seems like a good time to do this because everything does go south eh, over time, but we can actually reverse that. And we can call, actually prevent a lot of issues down the line. Um, Cause I can remember my, my grandma had a, a uterine prolapse mm -hmm. and that wasn't, wasn't fun there wasn't a lot in in her day that they did about those except a ring that kind of kept it in place yeah exactly and i mean now there are many more pessaries available which um address more issues than just the ring is able to but really you want you still need to be doing your pelvic floor rehab um around around the ring or around a pessary to ensure that the symptoms don't get worse because the pessary doesn't stop the symptoms getting worse. All it does is support the prolapse structurally. And I think um, I was speaking to um, a GP last night and we were talking how actually the biggest uh, factor for elderly people going to a care home is their continence. So if they're unable to maintain their continence and they need some full-time care, it's when they really start to need that full-time care. So if we can maintain our continence we're less likely to need that you know round the clock care yeah and I think nobody wants to be shopping for adult nappies I mean it's no. it's not fun and we don't want to have to do that and I think that that gets just worse in a care home where they tend to put people in a nappy and leave them there because yeah. it's easier for them and their staff issues but we don't need to get into a care home for that reason there's plenty of other reasons why we may end up yes. there but, we can, <laughs> but we some, can are preventable. some are more preventable than yes. others Esther I love the work you're doing i mean tell us a little bit more about the group that you've formed all right fantastic so the group is the pelvic power movement community we're over four thousand women now we started in january 2021 um it's i created it to allow the women that i was seeing in clinic to have somewhere to go to discuss their problems like-minded women if they were too embarrassed to talk about it with their friends or family members to know that they weren't alone um, and to feel confident and happy to share their um, their issues. And it's been a, a fantastic success. We've grown so quickly. Women in there are really sharing their problems. Everybody is advising and supporting them with their own life experience and everybody is different. And because it's global, we're getting great input from all countries and all countries do things slightly different. So it's really interesting to see what works 
in other countries as well. Um, and we in there often have, we have guest speakers. So last night we had a specialist GP come to talk about women's health issues. Um, we have workshops, which are run a few times a year. So teaching you maybe how to do keels, teaching you how to release your pelvic floor. Um, so it's really a space to educate, to help, to support, um, and just allow women to have a community to, to come. That's wonderful. And that's on, is it on Facebook? Yes, that community is on Facebook. That's right. It's a free community. Anybody can join. Um, so yeah, please do. If, if you would like to come, you know, you're more than welcome. We'd love to see you in there. That's fantastic because, Esther, we're going to put that in the show notes, obviously, so that women all around the world who are listening to this podcast and feel that that would be beneficial for them, and I'm sure we'll probably learn lots of other things about our health and well-being too, can join. Yeah, Esther, I'd love to thank you so much for coming on the show and so concisely and clearly sort of explaining what's happening and giving us some really good guidance, which I might sum up as getting a proper assessment, certainly localized estrogen. That was one that stuck in my <laughs> mind and and exercising, but in when you know how in an all round way. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Those would be three great starting points. And, you know, people would see some great benefits just by employing those three. Indeed. Thank you so much, Esther, for your time and your knowledge and passion in this area. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause. The, is it morning yet? Deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ta-da.